Amen. You may be seated. You already are. All of your eyes look wonderful. Good to see you. I, uh, I don't think it's been three months since I preached since 1998. So being on sabbatical was a, uh, a wonderful thing. I have missed um, being with you all, and I look forward to updating you on it. We had uh, uh, a wonderful time. Uh, it was incredibly restful. God did uh, a work in me and I think our family, and uh, I'm just glad to be back. You guys doing okay? All right. Matthew chapter 9. We are walking through Matthew, and this is uh, one of my favorite passages. I think it'll be familiar to a lot of you. So grab your Bibles. We're going to read verses 9 through 13 together, and we're going to jump right in. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call righteous, came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It's the word of the Lord. Amen? The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Let's pray. God, we just pray this morning that you would minister to us through your word, that you would illuminate it to us, open our hearts, speak to us, help us to understand it. We pray for clarity this morning, that we would speak clearly your word and your gospel and your truth, and that it would, that it would divide and dive deep into our hearts and in our souls, and that it would have the impact that it deserves. Open our hearts, open my heart this morning as we read your word together. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. So the call of Matthew. Here's Matthew writing uh, the version or the story of his own calling. And we see in the other Gospels it was a little bit more detailed. We know some more things about the call of Matthew or Levi. It was common for them to have two names. Um, Levi would be his Jewish name. And we see Luke and we see Mark. We see other Gospels reference this particular calling, and we know some more about it. We know that, that when they went to have this party at the dinner table, it was at Matthew's house. But I love the idea that Matthew's just very simple about it, right? I think there's a humility to the way he writes the story of his calling. He, he doesn't put much. You know, he doesn't talk about how much he gave up, like, like the other gospels seem to reference. He doesn't talk about that the dinner party that Jesus came to was at his home. He really just says, I'm at the tax booth. This guy, Matthew's at the tax booth. Jesus shows up. He says, follow me. Got up, followed him. And then we had a party. Very, very simple reference to the call of Matthew. But there are some things here that we see in this narrative that, that really speak to our own lives and our own calling and the reality of the gospel in our life that I think we should take a look at. 
You know, one of the, one of the biggest um, surprises in this passage, and there's a couple of surprises in this passage, is who Matthew is. We see Jesus coming, and he's beginning his ministry, and he's called fisherman, right? Unlikely, uneducated folks that would come and follow him as a rabbi. And Jesus is, is he is, he's a, he's a traveling rabbi, so literally the call, follow me, is literal. Like, I got nowhere to be, I got nowhere to sleep, I'm going to be traveling around speaking, and I'm asking you to physically follow me. And we see Jesus call Peter and his brother from the fishing boat. We see him call uneducated, unlikely folks. And now he's adding to his collections of disciples, and he comes to Matthew, the tax collector. Not just unlikely, not just uneducated, but what we know about Matthew and what we know about being a tax collector is he's despised, right? Like, they didn't like tax collectors. All right, nobody likes tax collectors, right? Even today. (laughs) If you work for the IRS this morning, I'm sorry. I think you're well aware. You know, folks don't like to think about taxes. Um, People don't like to pay their taxes. And and the idea of of being the human being that's responsible for getting your taxes, right? It's it's a deal. But but Matthew, it's beyond that. It's beyond that in this culture, right? We we recognize the tax collector in this scenario. They call them tax collectors and sinners. It's almost synonymous. There's a connotation to saying tax collector. Right? This was a this was a Jewish man who was probably wealthy, so he was economically wealthy, but culturally despised. The Romans occupied them, right? And so here we see a tax collector whose responsibility was to take taxes and to kick it up to Rome and take a cut for himself. The Sea of Galilee was a trade area. and We see in the north that Levi would have been working a tax collector's booth And not only did the Jews pay 10% um, in tithe, but they had to pay taxes. And they also had to pay taxes on their trade. Anywhere from 2 to 12.5% tax collectors. All they had to do, the tax collectors, really is get the minimum amount to Rome. But then they can overtax the Jews so that they could take a chop for themselves. And so you see these men were, were considered those who betrayed them. They were despised. You may be rich, but you, you didn't come in contact with the tax collector because it's not just you're a sinner. It's not just you're a liar. It's not just you're a betrayer. You're, you're someone who's so sinful. The, the, the reality of the conduct of your life is so sinful that to even come in contact with you would potentially make me ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. I don't want to talk to you. You couldn't participate. Tax collector couldn't participate in synagogue. The Jews. A tax collector was such a liar that they didn't even let him testify in court. Because if you were a tax collector, you're per se a liar. So you can't even give sworn testimony in court. No credibility. Totally despised. Here comes Jesus. Think about this for a minute. I mean, we watch Jesus. The, the, the impact of his life turning everything upside down, turning everything on its head. And here's the Messiah coming to teach, coming to, to proclaim the gospel, coming to do something that we're going to read about. We, we get an insight into his mission in this narrative. 
And here he comes to demonstrate his mission, to declare his mission, to show what he's really here to do. And he's collected uneducated, he's collected uh, despised, and, and he's collected fishermen, those who wouldn't normally be called to follow a rabbi in the rabbi's teaching. Yet the greatest rabbi to ever step foot on the face of the planet, the Messiah, the God of the universe, in his incarnation, he comes and he calls his disciples together. And here he comes to Matthew, sitting in a tax booth, despised. I wonder as I contemplate and think about this narrative how Matthew felt. I mean, what was going on in Matthew's head? What was going on in Matthew's heart? I mean, he had made some decisions. I think to some degree he had an envious job, right? I, I, the reality of Matthew's call is even different than the fishermen because if it didn't work out for Peter and the fishermen, they could go back to fishing. Once Matthew left this job, it was over. There was 10, 15, 20 guys waiting to step into his position. When he left his job as tax collector, there was no going back. And we don't get a lot of insight from Matthew. We just say, Jesus shows up. He says, Matthew, come follow me. And he gets up, pushes his ledger aside, pushes the coins aside, locks down the tax collector booth, walks out, and never turns around and follows Jesus all the way to his death. You wonder if in that moment Matthew even contemplated the reality that he would be writing these words, inspired words of God, that we would be reading a couple thousand years later. What an impact. What a, what a transformation, what a change. In that moment, come follow me. He gets up and he follows him. So here we see Jesus calling the unlikely, calling the despised, calling the uneducated. Now he's calling a tax collector, someone who, who would have tainted his reputation to be around. Think about that for a moment. He, he, you know, he, he would be around Matthew and, and, and that would... Obviously, Jesus knows that it would cause the Pharisees and the Jewish hierarchy and those, those who, who lived in, in Jewish society to look at Jesus and say, what are you doing? Are you even a rabbi? Are you even a teacher? You're hanging out with someone who's unclean, who's a sinner. Sinners and tax collectors, synonymous with the dredges of society. And Jesus, after calling Matthew, after Matthew's response, goes and eats with him at his home. You know what I love about this? And I hope that we just receive and think about it this morning. Jesus is still doing this today. Amen? Jesus' call on Matthew's life is something he continues to do. I just, it, 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 take a moment and just be a little introspective in your own life. Middle class kid from Baldwinsville, New York kind of living normal life, going through culturally what's expected, going to school, kind of passing, playing sports, graduate, go to college, get married, live a middle-class life, have a job. I mean, this was, this was, what, I was what, what I was destined for. This is what, what my life was, was made up of. I'll never forget the moment as an eight-year-old child hearing the gospel preached in church and having something echoing in my heart that I didn't understand in my little eight-year-old eight brain that I probably couldn't even 
couldn't even articulate well in my little eight-year-old brain. But I'll never forget hearing a pastor saying that I was a sinner and that I needed a savior and that the gospel was a reality and it was something I needed to face. And I remember being compelled to stand up in the pew at the Baldwinsville Wesleyan Church when no one else was walking or doing anything. And I literally passed by my parents and I walked to the center aisle before anybody else. I don't even know if he had made the altar call yet. And I walked to the front and I knelt down in front of the pastor. Something was going on in my heart. I heard a call that that Jesus was calling me. And, And I didn't even know what it meant. Moments in my life, as, 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 I, as I progressed into my teenage years and struggled with sin, coming to recognitions of, of my own need and my own sin and hearing the call of God, God's still doing this today, amen? Jesus is still calling sinners today. Jesus is still coming to those who are unlikely, and he's saying, come follow me. What an opportunity. What an amazing thing. So here's Jesus calling the unlikely, and then he goes and he has dinner at his house. Read verse 10 with me. I love this. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus comes, and he's reclining with them. He's hanging out with Matthew's friends. Matthew is excited, right? There's a celebration. They're going to come have dinner. Matthew's excited about the transformation in his life that the rabbi had called him, that Jesus impacted his life. He left the tax booth. His life's completely transformed. He's now doing this with his life, and he's following Jesus. And so Matthew, as many new converts even today, becomes very excited and wants his friends to meet Jesus. So he gathers his tax collector's sinner friends, and he has a party at his house. And Jesus comes, and he reclines at the table. What an amazing thing. Something in that particular culture and in our culture, there's an, in, there's an intimacy to having dinner with someone, is there not? Jesus comes, and, and he eats at his table, reclines at his table, as if to give approval of him. That's what it would have been perceived as. He's reclining with him. He's hanging out with him. There's an intimacy to breaking bread together, to having dinner together. And here's Jesus amidst the sinners. Here's Jesus amidst the tax collectors. And he's reclining at a table, laughing, eating, drinking, and intimately spending fellowship time with sinners to the point that the Pharisees come by and they're like, what? And there's a question. There's a question that they have. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciple, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why? Why is Jesus doing this? You see, the Pharisees who were living into the ceremonial law, practicing the sacraments, they wouldn't have come into contact with tax collectors and sinners because it would defile them. It would cause them to be sinful. They believed their salvation was being preserved by their rejection and their location, that they were not in proximity to sinners. They stayed apart. They stayed separate. They stayed sanctified. They practiced the sacraments. And Jesus comes and he blows that out of the water and he says, no, listen, I'm going to recline and, and intimately spend time with sinners. And they say, why? Why would the rabbi do this? And Jesus gives incredible insight into who he is and what he's doing. Amen? Folks, this is good news for us. His response to this question 
is very, very good news. Jesus, what are you doing hanging out with sinners? What are you doing hanging out with tax collectors? He heard him ask. I love that he heard it. What an opportunity. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. And he quotes Hosea 6.6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. Is that not good news for us, folks? I came on a mission of mercy. I am on a mission of mercy. My God is a God of judgment. My God is a God of justice. Sin is so disgusting. Sin is so depraved. Sin causes such a debt in the lives of people. If God was not just, he would not be good. He must judge sin. He must be just. He's got to make those things right because they are so bad. They are so evil. But guess what? Even though my God's a God of justice and my God is a God of judgment, I have come right now in this moment on a mission of mercy. Amen? Who here needs mercy? I know I do. I am so glad that Jesus' mission was a mission of mercy. I am so glad that Jesus came for sinners. I'm so glad that Jesus came for the sick. I wonder if the Pharisees walked away with that answer and thought to themselves, well, good. Great. The doctor's going to hang out with the sick, with the sick people, so we, we must just be fine. Here's the reality. Jesus could have hung out with the Pharisees and been with just as sick people who were in just as much need of a doctor. But the difference between the Pharisees and the tax collectors and sinners that Jesus was eating with is they knew it. They knew it. Pharisees were sick. The Pharisees needed a doctor. Jesus was reclining at a table with those who knew they needed a doctor. Those who knew they were sick. You don't go to the doctor unless you know you're sick. And you can't be a doctor unless you're willing to get your hands dirty. Amen? Think of this time we've been in. And, uh, you know, we've... we've uh, kind of been walking through this this pandemic and this COVID stuff and you know people are all over the map on how they feel about it or what they think about it and that's really not the issue now but my wife's a nurse at St. Joseph's and she's been spending a lot of time there. I remember in the early days in particular there was an idea of like healthcare workers. Wow. All right this thing's scary. Uh, you know some people are dying and uh, healthcare workers are right in the midst of it. You know the healthcare workers have their PPE you know, I, I remember thinking all the time, every time she went to work, all right, we good? Like, you wearing PPE? You got your mask on? You wearing glasses? You, you know, are you in COVID rooms? What's going on? And we noticed some nurses are getting this thing, some doctors are getting this thing, and, and there was serious concern, right? I, I, mean, I even remember in the early days, the first couple months, there was concern of, of my family being around us because, because my wife was exposed so consistently. 
And I, and I kind of thought about that when I read this passage. You know, you can't be a doctor, you can't be a physician, you can't be a medical professional without being around sick people, right? You can't be a doctor unless you're willing to get your hands dirty. You know, I love the passages as we walk through the miracles of Christ where he touches a leper, where he sits with tax collectors, where he spends time with the dredges of society, and he's not worried about the stuff getting on him. the, The influence is flowing in the right direction, if you know what I mean. And here's Jesus saying, I'm the doctor, and I'm here to be with sick people. I'm not worried about them making me defiled. I'm here to bring healing. I'm the physician. I'm the doctor. I'm the one who's on a mission of mercy, and I'm going to enter into the life of another who's sinful and who's hurting and who's in need, and I'm going to bring what they need. Amen? And I think we, we would be remiss if, if in reading this passage we didn't begin to sit and contemplate our greatest need. Yeah. Who are you in this narrative? Who am I? Am I a Pharisee who's sick and doesn't know it? Or am I readily aware of my greatest need? I don't know, maybe... Maybe that's the challenge of our time. Maybe that's the challenge of our area. I remember us sitting around talking about church planting in the suburbs. We had first planted in the city and, uh, and in 2007, and then out of Missio Church, we planted Renovation Church in the northern suburbs, and I remember us sitting around, Mike and I and some other folks, and just talking about how to, how to serve. How do we serve? And there was this, I, this little bit of a difference in terms of need when you go to the suburbs, right? Does everybody recognize this? I mean, we were kind of like, can we go serve folks in Beville? Like, let's go rake their leaves. And I was like, nah. I'm like, listen, you go into a neighborhood in Beville with a rake and start raking leaves, they're going to come out with a shotgun. Like, what are you doing? I got a leaf guy. Like, get out of my yard, right? I don't need your help. You're not meeting my need. I, I, got, I have landscapers. You're going to mess up my mulch. Like, leave. <laughs> a little bit of a different recognition sometimes of need depending on where people are. I was talking to a man at Kubal the other day who was asking me for money. And I was trying to, trying to communicate with him a little bit as he, he was having a cup of coffee and I was having a cup of coffee. He smelled a little bit. And I was wearing a nice suit. But as we sat, sat across from each other, our need was the same. My great need for my sin to be forgiven is the same as his great need for his sin to be forgiven. I'm in need of a doctor. Listen, you can't join this church unless you know your need. Unless you recognize you're sick and you need a doctor to heal you and repent of your sin and allow the great physician to heal your heart. That's the first step to joining the body of Christ. It's that amazing passage in Romans 4, verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Amen? That's what Jesus is talking about. It's an ancient faith. It's the faith of Abraham. It's the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus experiences this faith as he relies on Christ and then they celebrate and have a party. It's not about what you do. It's not about your works. It's not about how well you're doing, how educated you are, how much money you have. Maybe you don't feel need because your belly's full and your bills are paid and you have two cars and a wonderful house and a beautiful suburban land. Your kids are going to a great school and, and you don't recognize necessarily need in your life, but there needs to come a time when you recognize your great need for the great doctor, amen? And you're relying on him in faith, in ancient faith, that exchanges your unrighteousness for his righteousness, amen? That's the story, that's the message of the gospel. That, that, that you rely on Christ because you can't do it, you're not good enough, and you are in great need of forgiveness. That's the message of this passage. Maybe you're here today and you do recognize your need. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're lonely. Maybe things haven't worked out. Maybe there's struggle every day. Maybe there's massive rejection or abuse or you've been disregarded or discarded and and you're alone and you feel it. Things aren't working out for you. Things aren't coming easy. And you're struggling in your sin, and you're struggling in your loneliness, and you're struggling in the things that have, from the outside, affected your inside, and you don't know what to do. There's good news for you this morning. You're exactly who Jesus has come for. And you're one step ahead of the game from the rich guy where everything's going good. You know why? Because you know you need Jesus. You're ahead of the game in the midst of your struggle because you recognize the depth of your own sin and so you get to experience the beauty and the glory and the joy of grace. Jesus has come for sinners. He's the doctor who came for those who are sick, not those who are righteous. Amen? It's good news this morning. He's on a mission of mercy. It goes on, and I don't want to take next week's passage, but I'm just going to reference it. They ask him, how come you're not fasting? And here we see Jesus is feasting. He's not fasting. And and what Jesus is articulating in the midst of this passage is the bridegroom's here. It's time to eat. I'm here on a mission of mercy, and we're celebrating because mercy's here. The bridegroom is here. I have come, and I have come for mercy. And so, no, we're not talking about fasting and praying for me to come. I'm here. We're feasting, and we're celebrating because Jesus is here, and he's here as the great doctor who can fix what has made us sick. Amen? It's good news. So Matthew's experiencing this and they're celebrating you don't go to the doctor unless you know you're sick you're sick so god being rich in mercy he didn't deal with us by which or deal with us by what we deserved not by our participation in sacraments not by going to church but according to the work of christ on the cross we don't labor under religion to be saved We rely on that ancient faith. We trust in Christ alone. Man, are we prone to self-righteousness. Aren't we? I mean, as I think about this narrative, I think about Jesus eating with tax collectors. I think about Jesus 
meeting with sinners. R.C. Sproul mentions in his commentary on Matthew, as he writes about this passage, that there was a, an Episcopal priest who came to him. And the Episcopal priest was uh, serving in a parish in Clarendon, Pennsylvania, where R.C. Sproul had gone to high school. It's where he grew up. This is a, this is a mill town. It's a mill town, salt of the earth, Pennsylvania folks. And this Episcopal priest serving in this parish had about 25 people in it. And he's like, how do I grow my church, R.C.? In this town at the time that he was talking to R.C. was struggling from tremendous unemployment. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of economic hardship. And R.C. kind of tells the story of how this Episcopal priest comes to him and says, I want to grow my church. I got 25 people in this parish. How do I grow my church? And R.C. said, listen, you got a beautiful sign out front. It's great. You're not going to grow your church by sticking a sign in the front yard. You got to go where the pain is. He said to him, if I was you, I would be in the union hall and the bars every single day of the week. Because that's where people are. And that's where the pain is. And he said the Episcopal priest gulped and went on to probably not follow his advice. I remember our thoughts when we planned in Missio, and as we think about, or I'm sorry, when we planned a renovation, as we think about, as we think about, uh, I still do that, as we think about, um, as we think about evangelism, as we think about our mission of mercy, as we, those forgiven and transformed and called out of our own tax booths to follow Jesus, and as Jesus has transformed our lives and met our greatest needs, and we feel compelled, as Matthew did, to invite our friends over and to let them know Jesus, and in our compulsion as Christ's love com compels us to preach the gospel. Where do we go? How do we do it? When we plant a church and we sit and we talk often, we don't want just church transfer growth as, as glorious as that is, as Christians are called to be a part of us and serve with us in this, in this mission and in the gospel, we, we welcome it. But how do we reach out to those who don't know Jesus? What do we do? How do we plant a new church in a new area and reach out to those who are in need of a savior? Well, we need to go and, and be where people are, amen? Why are we so self-righteous? God, forgive us for not being in intimate, genuine relationships with those who don't know Jesus. Having people in our home and sharing a meal with those who don't know Jesus. Going to where they are. Well, I don't know, elder, Christians are going to look at you and think you're a sinner. I don't care. God's called us to be there not for the sin, but for the sinner, like me, in need of a savior, entering into the lives of others. I remember youth pastoring for a long time, for, for over a decade, and in, in, in ministering to other youth pastors. And, and we used to have a Syracuse area youth pastors. I remember a particular youth pastor just saying, no one's coming to my youth group. We put out a flyer. Great. We advertised an event. Nobody came. I don't, it's not working. Really? Do you think youth read flyers? Are teenagers hopping on your website to check out when the event is and writing the date in their calendar? How do we minister to teenagers? Go where the teenagers are. Go spend time with a teenager. Go to their house, invite them out to dinner, take them out to coffee. Go to the kids. They're not going to come to you. Amen? How do we reach out into our community? Go into the community. Be where they are. 
Spend time with them. Engage them. Jesus went to the tax collector, and he called him, and he came. Jesus was the doctor, and Matthew knew he needed one. Matthew knew he was sick. Matthew knew he needed a physician. What a great narrative, amen? Jesus comes and he calls. Jesus comes to us as the great physician. And I think we have to ask ourselves that question. Do we recognize our need for a doctor? Some of you are sitting here this morning and you at the forefront of your brain, readily recognize your great need for a physician. There's good news for you this morning. The doctor's here. He comes and he heals. He comes on a mission of mercy to show you mercy, to show me mercy for our greatest need. Some of you here this morning, maybe you need to spend some time contemplating your need. Maybe you feel like you got it together and things are just all right and you got it under control. Ask yourself, show me my need, God. Show me where it is that I fall short of your glory. Show me the reality and the depth of my own sin. Maybe you're here this morning and you've received the grace of God in your life and he's transformed you And God's calling you this morning to enter into the suffering of another. To go where the need is. To be the preacher who proclaims the gospel to the one who needs to hear. Amen? Maybe that's what he's calling some of us to. And maybe self-righteously we need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe self-righteously we need to repent. Say, God, I haven't spent time with those people because... Whatever, they're sinners, they're, they're the dredges, or they're, they're not like us. And God's calling you to recognize what he's called you to. I love the, the word compassion as we see in the narratives of Christ where he looks and he weeps at times and he has compassion on the crowd. And what we see in that word compassion is more than just feeling sorry for. Compassion, biblically, uh, is defined as Entering into the suffering of another. Where is God calling you to engage? Where is God calling you to enter into the life and the suffering of another and to get involved, to bear burdens, to pray, to bring the gospel, to bring life into someone who's in desperate need, who's hurting? That's what God's calling us to, amen? What a great call. What great news we see in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. He's on a mission of mercy. He's the doctor who's come to those who know they're sick. Let's receive that this morning. And then, let's do the same. Let's go into the lives of folks who need Jesus. And let's be there. Amen? Pray with me. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the Gospel. thank you that you desire mercy and not sacrifice as Hosea proclaimed 
as Jesus reiterated to the Pharisees, wanted them to go think about it. You don't want us to be about ceremonial works to try to save ourselves. The point of it all was mercy. That we would be about mercy. That we would receive your mercy and that we would extend mercy to others. This morning we stand here, we're grateful that you were on a mission of mercy and that we are recipients. And as we sang this morning in Come Ye Sinners, those who tarry until they're better will never come at all. So we come to you this morning sick and needy recognizing that only you are the doctor who can fix that. And we rely on you with that ancient faith that saves because you've done it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.